Hey there, folks. It's Aaron Morgenstein from FlexMedStaff.com. In this podcast with Corinne, we speak with Dr. John Paul Brutus. He's a hand surgeon in Canada. He's actually one of the few surgeons that is in private practice in Canada. We speak about physician well-being. We speak about physician burnout. We speak about the differences between the healthcare system in Canada and what we have here in the U.S. And most importantly, we speak about how Dr. Brutus has developed or created a work-life balance that makes sense for him while he's able to pursue some of his other passions. I hope everyone enjoys this podcast. I'm pretty excited to be here today in this podcast with Corinne. We're going to be speaking with Dr. John Paul Brutus. He's a uh, trained plastic surgeon, but specializes in hand surgery. He's a Canadian physician with a unique perspective on obtaining a good work-life balance. I'm excited to have him on here. How are you doing, my friend? Excellent. Excellent. Thank, thank you for having us. No problem. I'm excited to learn a lot about you. For the viewers that don't know you, please tell us a little bit about your beginnings and how you've gotten to this point in your career. Well, um, so I'm a plastic surgeon specializing in hand surgery. I was trained in Belgium, in Canada, and the U.S., in Syracuse, New York. And then after my fellowship, I moved to Montreal. I was actually recruited by University of Montreal to be an academic hand surgeon. And um, so I moved to Montreal. And after a few years, I realized that uh, something was lacking. In fact, I realized that the, you know, the resources that I needed in order to do what I was hired to do uh, were lacking um, in terms of uh, human resources, but mostly uh, equipment. And then I was just, uh, you know, growing a wait list, a waiting list of patients uh, waiting for surgery that was make me, uh, making me uh, obviously stressed and unhappy. And, and then um, I did that for a few years, hoping that it would change. But then I noticed it was only getting worse from year to year. And then my, my, my passion, my joy for being a physician and helping people was just, um, you know, decreasing uh, year after year to the point that I, I was wondering if I still liked my job. Then I said, okay, this is enough. I, I did everything that I could to change the system and make it better. But I realized that I couldn't, the system was just too big. So I decided I'm out. And so I left. And in Canada, it's either you're public or you're private, you can't combine. So it was really a you know, skydiving into the unknown. And uh, as, as you may know, um, the universal healthcare system is the most Canadian thing that exists except for hockey. So doing that was really out of the box. And um, I think it came from me seeing other systems in Belgium and in the US. And I decided to create something that did not exist yet, which is a private hand surgery practice in, in the country. So that's what I did. And uh, it's been 13 years now. Um, my, my, my clinic is named Exception MD as a reminder that every patient is meant uh, to feel like an exception to the rule rather than you know the cookie cutter approach where everybody's treated the same. Surgeries happen uh, on site. And what we specialize in, we specialize in is obviously hand surgery, but also the patient experience. We make sure that patients walk out of there with a big smile on their face. Um, nobody wants to have surgery, but you may need surgery. And it doesn't have to be stressful if we control the environment. And that's what we do. We specialize in providing an exceptional experience while you're having hand surgery. And that's that's it now. 
JP, I think it's so interesting that you're one of the few in Canada that has a cash-based practice. And I assume that you're one of the a few surgeons, as most are probably public surgeons and public physicians. In this country, in the U.S., I feel like there's a strong trend towards physicians going to what is referred to as direct primary care or uh, concierge medicine, basically, to some degree, cash-based medicine. What have you found of uh, is the obstacles to a cash-based practice in a country like Canada, where it's expected that every physician or surgeon is in the public system? Well, it's it's the mentality, really. Uh, people have been used to to uh, you know to getting care for not free because they pay a lot of money in income tax and several taxes to support the system, but it doesn't come out of their pocket directly. It comes out of the pocket indirectly, right? Um, and so they're used to being cared for, you know, without pulling out their credit card, let's say. Um, and that was the main hurdle. But what I've noticed over the years, I've been doing this for 13 years now, is that the mentalities have been changing in the population because people now realize that the universal healthcare system is not so universal after all. And what we're doing, what I do, is not emergencies, it's not life or death, it's considered elective surgery. And so when patients want to get that, uh, they realize there's a, a waiting list for a year or for two years. You don't get to choose your doctor. You don't get to, to spend more than five minutes with the surgeon. Um, and so they have, they're growing to be not, not happy with it. And now they realize, okay, I've been paying for decades uh, every year. And when I need it, I'm not getting it. And so now people uh, are moving more towards, you know what, I'm going to go private. Um, patients are becoming more like consumers. They're becoming more educated thanks to, to the web. And, and, and that's been the, the tipping point. And you're right, 99% um, of surgeons and physicians in Canada are, are paid by the government, mostly on a fee-for-service structure, which encourages productivity and high-volume practice which is something that I don't like. Um, and so the fact that I do a cash-based practice, meaning meaning what it, what it means is that patients pay for the services and they don't have to pay cash. They can pay with a credit card. They can pay you know, with whatever uh, means they want, but there's no um, third-party payer. So it's a direct relationship between somebody who has a problem and someone who can provide a solution. And I actually like it and patients like it because they get a lot more uh, value uh, than they're actually paying for. And so um, it works really well. Patients, I've uh, patients have never been happier than since they, they started paying, which, which was just interesting. The other thing that I've noticed is that I've never received as many thank you presents, you know, a bottle of wine, a card, small things, than since I became private. So when I was doing all of this for free, meaning without direct exchange of value between the patient and the physician, the, the patients would be, you know, uh, appreciative. Oh, thank you, doc, and handshake and bye-bye, which is which is fine. It's totally fine. But I find it interesting that when it comes to, you know, now the patients can actually pay for something that they want and need, 
when they're happy, even if they have paid, they still want to give you something more to say thank you. And much like, you know, it, it used to be the case uh, in the good old days where the doctors would get chickens and eggs and, and whatever Christmas presents. Uh, I found it, I was like, oh, this, this is really interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. But I can really tell you that patients are a lot more appreciative of something. And I believe it's because it has value. Um, and unfortunately, in our society, if it's perceived to be free, it doesn't seem to have that much value. So it's taken for granted. I think it's amazing that you formed this exception MD and you have this cash-based surgical practice. I think based on hearing your story that you obviously have found an improved work-life balance, right? You're happier, you're enjoying the art of treating patients probably more so than you did before. Absolutely. I suspect that you are not one of those suffering from burnout. And in this country, we have a growing, huge trend of physicians that are burned out. What is it like there in Canada when it comes to physician burnout and what is being done there? What are the trends you're seeing? It's horrible. There's an epidemic. Uh, I want to say it's close to 60% of physicians who um, are burned out um, in, the, in, the, in the public healthcare system. And uh, it's, 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 it's going to get much worse because one in four is uh, going to be 65, 65 this year, which means, which means massive retirement in the coming couple of years. And the younger doctors don't want to work as much as their uh, predecessors. So it, it, it's not voting well. Um, and I believe the burnout, you know, physicians, we are highly resilient people because if you are not, there's no way you survive medical training. So if you come out of medical training, you are a tough cookie. There's no question. So I don't think doctors burn out because they're physically exhausted. They burn out because they run out of emotional gas. They run out of spiritual gas. And people who go into the healthcare industry, I mean, uh, people want to take care of patients, doctors, nurses, and all these nice people that really want to help and make a difference. The reason they go in there when they're, you know, 20, 25 years old is because they want to help. They have this need to do something for other people. Uh, and that need is a strong one. But they are also motivated by what they get back in exchange for, you know, the energy that they're giving out to patients who are suffering, you know. And the gratitude of the patient, the difference that we're making is what fuels us. And this is why you're a surgeon, I'm a surgeon, you know, we can go for hours and hours and hours without eating, without drinking, as long as we have this, you know, I'm making a difference. I'm gonna, you know, make a difference in this person's life, end their pain, fight their cancer, God knows, save their life. And when you see the difference, when you have that thank you, doctor, when you have, you made, you made my day, doctor, you know, that fills you and you can keep going. Here's the problem when you have assembly line medicine, when you have about five minutes of FaceTime with your patient, that's cut off, that's over. So you become a technician that just goes, 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 goes. No disrespect to technicians, except you are not a technician. You didn't go in there to be a technician. You, didn't, you, you went for that emotional relationship, that spiritual relationship, that human connection. And I think that's the cause 
one of the main causes of burnout in the medical profession. And the other thing is the lack of autonomy. When you are a physician, you are a decision maker because, well, you know, you're a doctor. So you got you to gotta call the shots to help this person. And in order to do that, you need to have the decision-making power, or at least some of it, and that's been taken away uh, for various reasons, probably. In the hospitals, um, I know in Canada for sure, but I train in the U.S. as well, I saw that year after year, physicians have less and less of a role in the decision-making, and doctors have a fiduciary obligation to the patient, which means, you know, you have to do what's right for the patient first and then what's right for you not the other way around and you know we all agree on that that's the oath we took and everybody's comfortable with that the problem is people who are running the systems now the hospitals and the healthcare organizations they don't have a fiduciary obligation towards the patients they actually don't care about patients they care about numbers they care about productivity and so we have a disconnect i believe between you know, the vision of the physician and the vision of the decision makers. And then eventually that, you know, uh, that break in, in alignment, I believe, creates moral injury and, and, you know, suffering, chronic suffering and stress for the, for the caretaker, for the, you know, for the, for, for the physician, physician, for the nurses, for the physician's assistants and all these people. And I think that's the cause. That's probably one of the biggest causes of burnout. Is your can Canadian is your Canadian system? Uh, what are they doing differently to help with physician burnout? And what are these physicians doing once they get burnout? Are they quitting? So yes, a lot of quitting, a lot of retiring early or cutting down their hours, which makes the shortage worse. So it, it actually increases the load on those who are still there. Um, so it creates a, a very, very difficult situation for those physicians who actually want to decrease their workload, but feel like they're letting down their colleagues. So that, that's the problem. Um, interestingly, I've had several pa uh, patients who were doctors in the last year that I've operated on, on their hands, and several of them you know, when I tell them, I operate on them and then they say, you know, my hand still hurts. I don't think I can go back to work. And then sometimes you realize that, yes, they do have a problem, but it's more acceptable for them to stop working because of their hand than because they're burnt out or they've lost the drive or the pleasure to go back to that system that really just abuses them. So there's um, quitting, there's retirement. And there's also a lot of um, disability happening from different medical conditions, but that's more acceptable than it is to say, you know what, I'm gassed out, I can't do this anymore. There's still a big stigma on mental health, um, you know, uh, in the US and Canada as well. Um, so to answer the question, though, yeah, there's some resilience training, but I think that's a joke because like I said before, physicians are the most resilient people I know maybe ex with the exception of the Navy SEALs. So they don't need resilience training. They need to stop. They need to take a breather. They need to become physicians again. That's what I think that they need. And if they can't do it in the public sector, then they're going to do it in the private sector now. Yeah. 
That so would GP, what you, that, by the way. Yeah, and what you said was so important about the lack of autonomy, and I say this all the time. I think when physicians don't control our time, we're employed by somebody else, and we're doing what they're telling us to do, we simply have no autonomy over our time, how we're treating these patients, and that is a huge, huge factor in the U.S. We have the same numbers of the 60% burnout rate and physicians that are leaving or going part-time or quitting or retiring early. So the future looks very bleak if we just look at it that way. How would you encourage uh, physicians, younger physicians who are stuck in toxic jobs that they can make a change? They don't have to continue. Um, I think um, I like to say, if you don't like your work environment, doctor, change it. If you can't change it, leave it before it changes you. Because it actually does change you. You become uh, numb to it. You become emotionally cut. Um, and that's the worst thing that you can ever do. Because again, I think physicians and you know people who are in the caring business, nurses, physicians, assistants, all these fine people are you know among the most beautiful people on earth because they want to do more for others than they'll do for themselves. I mean, how more beautiful does it get than that? And it's so sad when you see them turn into zombies just because they feel like they have no power. You have power. Um, you're the one taking care of people. Managers and hospitals need you. You don't need them. They need you. And I think if you realize that, then you can say, you know what? I can say no. It's okay. It's, it's fine to say no and, and, and get unstuck. But if you don't want to leave, first, see if you can change it and make it, make a change, even a small change. It can create a momentum, you know, uh, and then you create more change. But if change is impossible, it's just like any bad relationship that you've find yourself in in the past. Uh, you probably stayed too long, right? And looking back, you're like, oh, I saw the red sign, the flags, and I did this, and I shouldn't have done that. And so it's the same thing. I considered I was so in, in, in sort of a toxic relationship with the, the system. And I stayed in there six years past my training, obviously, because my training was 15 years. And then when I got out, looking back, I was like, I can't believe I stayed this long. What was holding me back? And what was holding me back is I didn't, you know, I didn't think I could do it. People were discouraging me from doing it. And then I was the lone wolf you know, doing this when everybody else was saying, what are you doing? It won't work. But you know what? I like to say that for big changes in life, you need either inspiration or desperation. And I would love to tell you that this was inspiration, but it wasn't. It was desperation. I just couldn't take it anymore. So it was either that or, you know, I was going to quit medicine altogether. And everything changed when as soon as I started private practicing, um, you know, patients are happier. I was happier. A consultation is 30 to 60 minutes, which is unheard of for a hand surgeon. Usually it's five minutes, um, you know, and the pace is relaxed. It's, it's just pleasurable. And, and it's funny to see patients actually enjoying coming to see you. Like, what a concept. And, and you know, hospitals are meant to be hospitable. Right. There's supposed to be hospitality in hospitals, but there isn't any. 
So that's what I decided to, to, to bring back into the medical profession is hospitality, the pleasure of, you know, meeting someone and getting to know them and treating them and, you know, and um, so my advice is, um, you know, take a hard look of, uh, at the situation, tell the truth, because the truth will set you free. As long as you lie to yourself, oh, it's going to get better. Oh, you know, it's not that bad. You know, oh, I make enough money. I can go on vacation. You know, I'm okay with a glass of wine every night. As, you know, as long as you do that, you're not going to tell the truth. The truth is, for me, the, 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 the one that really hurt was the following question. Was I, when I was still in the hospital. I said to myself, would I want to be my own patient under my care in my hospital? Yes or no? And the answer was no. And that hurts. Because when you realize you don't want to be your own patient, then you got to do something. And, and to me, that was it. I was like, okay, I'm out. So the truth will set you free. Ask the tough questions. And do not believe the lie that this is the only way. Remember, Canada has universal healthcare system. It's in the DNA of Canadians. You, you know, it, it could not be more opposed to private medicine. And yet it's been 13 years, it's growing, growing, growing. So if it can be done in Canada, I think it can be done anywhere in the world. Not to say that this is the only way. There's many ways, but this is one, it worked out for me. Um, but you wanna, you, you need to have the, the, the desire to also take care of running a business, which not all physicians have, actually a, a small minority is. But even if you don't want to run a business, you can join a practice that exists and that can, you know, offer you this turnkey operation. You know, some people do locums, some people do, you know, I know a physician who's a part-time um, Air Canada pilot and part-time uh, gastroenterologist, you know, thinking of balancing. I think it's important to, to keep the passion, the fire alive. And unfortunately it gets extinguished, but as long as there's a spark, it's not dead. So don't let the spark go out. I love what you said about physicians either quitting or adjusting, changing their jobs. I think one of the biggest risks we take in medicine as physicians is to quit our job or to ask for a change, but the rewards and the benefits can be amazing. I would love to know what you think is wasteful in your universal healthcare system there in Canada. Here in the US, we have a lot of middlemen, uh, either from staffing agencies or global purchasing organizations. There's a lot of people in the healthcare industry in America making money that do not provide direct medical care. What are those wastes that you find in the healthcare system there in Canada? Uh, so I've, I have many friends in the US. I train there. I, I spend a lot of time there. And so I'm quite familiar with the situation. And yes, you're right. You know, there's way too many people with their hands in the cookie jar. And doctors are, are, are not getting the most out of it by far, um, conversely to what people might think. Uh, so you know that, and more and more people know that. Uh, in Canada, we don't have that situation. So there's basically one um, 
universal uh, third-party payer per pro per province, okay, that pays the doctors directly, mostly as a fee for service. So there's not no middleman. So that's not the issue. The issue is the issue is more an organization problem, management problem. Um, I don't think it's done in a smart way. I think they want to give access to a doctor um, to all patients within a timely manner, which they're failing at already because we have an aging population. We have a shortage of doctors. We have it for a long time. Um, but also they don't make sure that you see the right doctor. So, you know, all orthopedic surgeons are not the same. All plastic surgeons are not the same. And so it's not enough to see a doctor. You need to see the right doctor right away. And so there's a lot of wasted resources um, that way. Another uh, problem is we don't have physician's assistance here. Um, and so everything has to be done by the doctor. There's a huge uh, paperwork administrative burden on the shoulders of the doctors. Uh, that shouldn't, uh, you know, we should have scribes that take care of, you know, documenting and, and, and taking care of paperwork when the doctor can actually do the doctoring. Um, I think we should use um, physician's assistants or specialized nurses that can help the doctor and do things that the doctor can only supervise. And so there's, a, there's I think, ways to do this much better, but we got to stop we got to change the way we've been thinking. And I, I believe they're not doing that. For the last uh, 20 years I've been here, it seems like it's the same thinking. It's just more bureaucracy and less resources on the ground to actually deliver the care. So I, th I really believe it's a management system. It's a, it's a poor culture, you know? There's a lot of uh, bureaucracy. There's a lot of unions unions are everywhere in the public healthcare system and so it's so it's become so difficult to create any change because there's too many people at the table and everybody has something to say about any change that you want to bring about and it's human nature to resist change and so i feel like they're paralyzed and so that's the beauty of private practice is you want it you do it period and you can you can turn on a dime and if you don't like this, the effect of what you just did, make another change and then make another change. And then this is the way progress is made. Innovation requires trying things, see what works out and what doesn't. But in the public healthcare system, there is no room for innovation. Uh, there's just none. And let's not talk about prevention. Preventive medicine, poof, we don't have that. We have ill care. We don't have health care, right? So, Corinne, I, I gather that universal health care, as some would like to see here in this country, may not solve our issues. That's what I Guaranteed. just I just heard. Guaranteed. So let's get towards the important part of this conversation. You have definitely improved your work-life balance. Can you tell the audience how you've improved your work-life balance and what passions you have outside of medicine, what you have time now? to do with an improved work-life balance? Oh yeah, so I, I, I work about three and a half, two and a half to four days of, uh, per week uh, clinically, seeing patients and operating and all of that. 
basically from eight to four. So I really have office hours and all my staff, we all have an hour break for lunch. We all eat together, which is great for team building and, you know, for, for, uh, you know, to, to, to hang out together, basically. Um, and then um, my, my day ends, uh, my week ends on uh, Thursday afternoon. And then I have long weekends every week, which allows me to relax and actually enjoy the weekend. I fly planes. I'm a pilot. I write. I love to write. I write. I blog. I write books. Um, I wrote a, a book a few years ago called "The Secrets and Lies from the Operating Room" about the secret world of surgeons. Uh, before that, I had put together a, a philanthropy book, a, an art book of hands, pictures of hands of celebrities involved in philanthropy. So. I did that, and now I'm actually working on a, another book on um, creating an exceptional patient experience. So that's probably going to come out in about six months or so. And believe it or not, my wife uh, actually uh, loves me and sees me uh, because I can't say it was always like that in the past. You know, when you're always in the hospital and always grumpy, unhappy, it, it, it you know it affects the, your relationship. I don't have children, but I, I wouldn't want my kids to call me sir. So that means I would have to spend time with them and, and have the juice to do it. You know, um, quality of life is, I have a dog that I, I love playing with and, you know, I don't, I don't need to work. I don't need to chart at night. I don't need to, oh, I don't, I don't need to be on call. What a game changer, you know, weekends are actually actual weekends. So yeah, big, big, big difference. That is such a great point that we haven't heard a lot from others is that when you create an improved work-life balance, you actually get to spend more time with your significant other. The only concern with that, JP, is that they may get sick of you. Uh, <laughs> they may because they were used to not seeing you. So, exactly. so maybe you do that gradually, you know? Exactly. Um, Corinne, but I think Corinne, did you I think it, but I want to say a word about that. I think it's important to invest in your in your in your marriage or in your relationship, whichever it is, because you know work is work. We have a beautiful job, okay? What we do is extraordinary. But at the end of the day, we're human beings, and if all you have is your work, sadly, you don't have much, and you know, having a beautiful and passionate relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, having a network of, you know, people that you'd like to hang out with, that is also very important. And I know that nobody on their deathbeds has regretted not working more. That's awesome. Corinne, do you have anything to add? I, I, I did want to ask my three last questions. We'll let you ask, but let me just say that it's so important, JP, that you mentioned uh, doing things outside of medicine, um, such as what you're doing, because I think if we don't have that um, and just have only our work, it doesn't give our mind or brains any time to relax, to rejuvenate, and to bring our best selves forward the next week or the next day. So um, totally appreciate what you said, and uh, you know we also have our side passions that we do. And um, I'll let now Aaron ask you his three questions. Oh, okay. All right, okay. Three, three short questions to end this podcast. The first one is, which day of the week is your favorite to take off? 
Oh, for me, it's Friday. So every Friday I'm off. So that's easy. That's the one. It's always the same one, Friday. And you know why? It's revenge. When I was working in the hospital, my craziest day was Friday. It would usually end at 9 p.m. So I decided never in my life am I working another Friday. So that's Friday. That's, that's very interesting. I take July 4th off, which is Independence Day as revenge <laughs> uh next one what is your favorite book or what book do you recommend to anyone if you were to choose one book oh geez that's a tough one one only one only one okay i know it's a it's a book by uh uh eckhart tolle or eckhart tolle depending on how you say his last name and it's called the power of now very, very important because you never have another moment in life to live than now. Tomorrow doesn't exist. Yesterday's gone. It's always now. Always. By the time we get to tomorrow, it'll be now. So the power of right now. That's awesome. And the last one is, what's your favorite place or where do you recommend traveling to either somewhere in Canada or internationally? Well, it depends what you want. If you want to eat well and drink some fine wine and enjoy landscapes, Italy, Tuscany. Uh, if you want to eat, pray, and love type of experience, I would say Bali. Oh. And if you want to be humbled, I then I haven't done that yet, but that's on the list. I will go to Africa and I want to see the lions and the zebras, you know, and be reminded of how small I am next to them. I've heard several people do that and they love it. So that's a, that's a great idea. Well, JP, I got to say, this was great. It's so good to hear from a physician outside our country. And it sounds like you all are going through similar things, especially when it comes to physician burnout. I'm glad you have found your work-life balance that works for you. And it sounds like you're happier, your patients are happier. So it's really great to hear. And I hope that some of us can take something out of this. For, for I, want to, I want to thank you for uh, putting those uh, very inspirational posts on LinkedIn. I've shared your posts and I post them on Facebook and other places. Um, oh, thank you. Just hoping that other physicians will see and realize that we do have choices. You do have choices. Physicians have power. Uh, we've just forgotten how powerful we are. But, but you know what? Our patients don't forget it. They know. It's as if we had forgotten. So... Hope, reclaim your power. Say say no. Sometimes it's good to say no. You know, yeah. and remember it's now. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks, JP, so Thank much. You. This was great. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much.